I'm so glad to be here and I'm so proud of you. Pastor, I thought I was taller than you uh, when, when you left home. Either I'm shrinking or you got some rises in your tennis shoes. I don't know which one it is, but you look taller than me now. But I'm proud of you, Pastor. I just had, uh, he's a blessing to me. Uh, and I tell you, a man of God loves Jesus, uh, loves people, loves his family. And I knew him when he had no Margaret, no wife, no, I see these big old boys over here and stuff. He had none of that. He's just a man after God's own heart. And he's still a man after God's heart. And as I shared with the first service, uh, you got a blessing, uh, truly a blessing to have a man like this with you all who has a heart for the world, a heart for disciple making. And as I shared with the first service, me and my brown sugar right there, that's Linda right there, that's my brown sugar. That's right. Yeah, uh, and then here's my other son, Damon Remigallo, and his wife, Heidi. And uh, yeah, and I, I, got, I got to marry them. And so that was a beautiful, wonderful, wonderful wedding that we had with them. And, and they have their daughters here with them. And, and, and so uh, I, when I complete my trips this year, I will have gone outside the United States 145 times, 142 times, training pastors and leaders around the globe. And I've been in a lot of churches, thousands of churches, and I've crossed paths with thousands of pastors. And there are some bad pastors out there. And there are some churches who have treated pastors badly. And uh, you've got a good man here. So love on him. Uh, be patient with him. Encourage him. Uh, learn to understand his vision, where he wants to go and what he wants to do. And, and, uh, and you just watch what God does in this place. Uh, this, this moment was divinely appointed from before the foundation of the world. And God gives us a chance to be on it at this time when the world needs it the most. And, uh, and I'm glad to be here with you this morning. I really am. So I appreciate you. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to talk about three ways to represent Jesus. Now, this ought to sound familiar to your pastor and Damon because this was probably one of the first three to five lessons I taught them when I was discipling them some 14 and one, maybe 20-something years ago. And uh, they'll be familiar with it. But I want to walk with it with you this morning. Three ways to represent Jesus. Okay. And by the way, this lady right here, she's been on 82 trips with me. Uh, I mean, at home, she got her stiletto shoes on, you know, she's uh, bougie at home. You know, she wears her stuff, but overseas, she gangster. Uh, she can eat anything, use the toilet anywhere, bathe anywhere, sleep anywhere. And God knew the kind of woman I had to have to travel with me that way. Uh, we've been in any kind of situation you can imagine on the backside of deserts, in terrorist attacks. Uh, just any kind of thing you can imagine. And uh, I love this woman, and she's an amazing blessing to me. She really is. And uh, if you young men who are single can find a woman half like this, you're going to be all right. <laughs> but don't wait too long. Don't wait too long. Uh, if I knew what marriage was, I would have asked for her hand a whole lot sooner than what I got to know her and ask for it if I knew what it was. And some of you married couples, you need to get your act together. You need to show a little more affection to one another. Uh, you know, you need to show a little more affection. Need, we need to make it where these young folks say, if this is marriage, I can't wait to be a part of that 
and be a part of that. But the way we model marriage now is young people look at our marriage and say, if that's what it is, I think I'll hold off as long as I can. How many of you men in the last month have told your wife in words that you love them? Did Jesus have a bride? Does he have a bride? Does Jesus have a bride, church? Does he express in words to his bride the way he feels about her, does he? Every time you read the Bible. So men, if you don't express in words to your wife how you feel about her and how you love her, you are not like Jesus. So don't tell nobody you are because you're not. Because Jesus took words and expressed to his brides how he feels about her. And if you don't, you ain't like Jesus. So don't tell nobody you are. And how would we let other men determine how I move with my bride that God gave me? And if you let other men determine and make you cower down because you show emotion to your bride, you better check your manhood. You might not be as much man as you think you are. And many times, men, what we do is, when it's time to do what God says, we reach back and get culture. Well, you know, the generation before us didn't do that. The generation before them didn't do that. So we reach back when it's convenient and we grab culture and bring it out. God's word trumps any culture on earth. Any culture. And every culture got stuff that ain't got nothing to do with the Bible. Come on, y'all ain't going to talk to me this morning? Don't get silent on me now. So men, be a man. Don't let tr culture trump what the word says that you're supposed to do. Amen? And then when we do that, maybe some of these younger fellas will say, hey, I see the way you love your wife. I see the way you walk with things. I see the way you're stronger than some of the things on culture that tries to not get you to do what you're supposed to do. I think I want to walk with you and learn how you do this. Let's get into the message. Kind of got sidetracked. But I do a lot of work with men around the globe, and it's time for men to step up and be men and do what we're supposed to do. The, re the reason we're in the mess we are now is because one man didn't stand on the promises and the command of God. Adam. God told him what to do. He passed it on to Eve. Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, gave it to him while he's standing there. He ate it too. And by one man, sin passed upon all the world and death by sin. One man's passivity caused all the mess we're in now. And the mess we still have going on in the world is because of the passivity of men today. And there's nothing worse than a man who claims the name of Christ and walks in passivity. In America, I think some young men got cologne and the name of it is passivity. And they put it on every day and they reek of it. I don't know why any woman would want a passive man. Passivity. It's the worst thing that can happen to a man, passivity. 
Let's strengthen ourselves. Be strong. Encourage one another to walk strong and faithfully and aggressively in Christ. Amen? First John chapter 1. Oh, who's going to flag me? Okay. Who's my flag? Okay, he's going to tell me when I got 10 minutes left. All right, so when he gets up and do this, because I'm half blind, just know that's what he's doing. Okay? Three ways to represent Jesus. We're going to look at our, our text is 1 John chapter 1, but I need to build up to that just a little bit. So hold your place. In John 1, 1, the word says, in the beginning was the word. So before there was beginning, before there was anything that existed, the word, the logos. And another word, if you go back to the Hebrew context, it would be the Torah. One name for Jesus used in the Bible is the Torah. So the word, the Torah, the Logos existed before there was anything. It's eternal. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And that word with means that the Logos and God were face to face. It means they were face to face. And then you get on down to verse 14. The word, the Logos, the Torah took on humanity, became flesh, and tabernacled among us. Now, there's a difference between a temple and a tabernacle. A temple is stationary. It's unmovable. It's there unless you put dynamite to it, blow it down, tear it down, build something else. It's stationary. A tabernacle was mobile. It was a tent that when Israel camped out, the tabernacle would be in the middle of all the tribes camping. And the way that you knew God's presence was there was in the nighttime, it would show up as a fire, in the daytime as a cloud. And the tabernacle was mobile. So the presence of God was mobile among his people in the tabernacle. When the people move, God moved with them in the tabernacle. When the tabernacle moved, God, people moved with God when the tabernacle moved. So the tabernacle was a, present, was a mobile presence of God. The tabernacle. So the word, the Logos, Torah, God himself took on humanity and tabernacled among us. There's an illustration that this uh, young lady had an ant farm. And there are people who got these ant farms and it's, 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 it's tremendous. They love ants and they got these ant farms. And she lived on a farm and her father was plowing the field. And I'm going to try to slow down. The first service said, you, you talk too fast. I'm, I get excited about word of God. So I'm going to try to slow it down. Uh, y'all tell me to slow it down. I get too fast. Will y'all do that? And so he was plowing the field, getting it ready for the planting. And so there was an anthill out there, a big anthill. And this little girl loved ants. So she goes and, and, and says, how do I save these ants? Destruction is coming their way. Destruction is coming their way. How do I warn them? She said, well, I can go stomp on the pile. Well, no, that'll drive them down into the hill. I can write something on paper and say, ants, come out of there. Go deeper. Get away. There's destruction on the way. No, they can't read that language I'm writing in. Then she said, the best way to, for me to inform them and let them know what's going on is to become an ant myself. That way I can get among them and tell them and let them know, warning them that destruction is on the way. 
God took on humanity, came to earth, tabernacled, dwelt among us to let us know what his will is, how he wants to live, and model to us while he was among us what he wanted to do and let us know destruction is on the way, but there's salvation available to you. So he tabernacled among us. So now in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, now, where does God's presence dwell today? Where does God's presence dwell today? It dwells in me. It dwells in me. So that makes me his tabernacle. I am a mobile carrier of the presence of God. I am a tabernacle of God. I get to move God around in many situations. I am a tabernacle of God. So let's go to our text. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Just one verse. Three ways to represent Christ. The first way is a audible way, a audible way with voice. He says, what's from the beginning, what we have heard. In other words, John, one of his disciples says, we heard him talk. We heard him. He had language, he had speech. We heard him talk. So if I'm going to represent Christ, I must do it in an audible way. I must represent him and tell people about him in an audible way. In other words, I got to open my mouth and begin to talk about him. I got to share about him. Tell folks about him. Tell them who he is. Tell them what he's done. Tell them about his word. And where is the best way for me to represent him? And what's the best way to represent him? Just give them back the word like he's given it to me. And one best way to do that is memorize his word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against him. So we need to hide his word in our heart. And your heart and your mind is like the hard drive on a computer. When you download something on a computer on the hard drive, you may not use it for 10 years, but all you got to do is hit the icon, hit the right button, and guess what? It pops up. Hide his word in your heart. And when he needs it, the Holy Spirit will go in your heart's hard drive and pull it up. And you'll be like, man, where'd that come from? But it was awfully good to have it because if you hide it on your heart, it's there. And the Holy Spirit can access it when it needs it. But if you no input, no output. If you don't put it on there, you will not have it. Another reason to hide God's word on your heart is because uh, that we might not sin against him. Now, the word Torah comes from the word Yerah. Yerah is a Hebrew word that has three different meanings in three different contexts. It could mean to send rain. It also means to shoot an arrow with a heavy degree of control by the shooter to hit the bullseye. To hit the bullseye, not to hit the target, but to hit the bullseye. Because in archery, you can still hit the target and it'd be called a sin. It's only when you hit the bullseye is it not a sin in archery. Okay? So it's the sin rain, to shoot an arrow, with a heavy degree of control by the shooter 
to hit the bullseye. And Torah means instructions. It means instructions. So the word of God, Torah, is instructions on how to hit the bullseye. On how to hit the bullseye. Now, have you ever watched sports and there's a team winning by a lot of points and all of a sudden they stop playing to win and they start playing not to lose? There's a difference. A team is playing to win and they're winning by a lot of points and all of a sudden they pull back and the coach says, we're ahead of the game, now let's play not to lose. And you see the other team start to gain momentum. The other team starts to come back. In your mind, you say, that team is getting ready to lose. They're going down. They've lost the momentum. They're still ahead by points, but it won't be long before the other team is winning because they've lost momentum and they're about to lose. Have you ever seen that happen? Yes. Well, that's what happens in Christianity when we start talking more about and teaching people on how to sin less and not to obey more. When we talk about how to sin less, we're teaching people more how not to lose. But when we teach them how to walk in obedience, we're teaching them how to hit the bullseye and not sin against God and walk in victory. Do you see the difference in that? Nobody wants to be a part of classes where all you sit around is talk about how to sin less. I want to be a part of something that tells me how to win, how to have the victory. And when you walk in the victory, will you make mistakes? If your team is winning by 10 goals in football, will there still be mistakes in the game even while you're having the victory? Will there be? But you don't lose the victory. You correct the mistakes while you're in the victory. That's what we need to focus on. Not how to sin less, but how to obey more. And when I obey, I'll be walking in victory and I won't be sinning against him. So get in the word of God. Jesus says of himself, the things you've heard about me in the law of Moses, the Torah, in the prophets, the Nevi'im, the ladies learned this yesterday, and in the writings in the Psalms, the Ketavim. Jesus says, the whole word of God is about me from the beginning to the end. How much of the word of God do you know? How much do you know? Do you really dig in and study to see who God is? Do you really know him? Have you gotten tools to dig under the surface and get to know who he is and dig deep and learn of who he is? The whole Bible is Jesus beginning to ending. And he wants to be represented audibly. When's the last time you told somebody about him? You see, when I came to Christ, it was in an athletic training facility, a practice room four times the size of this church where we practiced baseball, the football team practiced inside. 
And I watched my coach. I watched him. And I watched his life. And I thought I was a Christian. I went to church every now and then. I've been baptized, dipped under water, pulled back up. Important pulled back up, right? And I ate the crackers and drank the juice when they passed it around. I said, that makes me a Christian. But when I got to the school, the university, I saw something different in his life than I had in mine. And I wanted that. And that day I came in from 5 a.m. from running the streets and partying. And a man shared, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That resonated in my heart that day. And about 2.15 that day, I bowed my knee and I surrendered my life to Christ and began to follow him. And going back to the dormitory that evening, the teammates I had been out with the night before, partying and drinking and everything, they were headed back to the streets. And I said, fellas, hold on. Before you go, I need to say something to you. I said, the best thing I can tell you is everything in my life is all right right now. I said, I got something to happen to me today that everything is all right right now. I said, the weight has been lifted off my shoulders. I said, I didn't fall on the ground, start kicking and slobbing. I said, didn't know lightning strike. But all I can tell you is everything is all right with me right now. I said, now I can't tell you what happened to me. There are some other guys in the dormitory who can explain it to you, but that's the best I got you. And I said, what you're looking for in them streets, you ain't going to find it. I found it today. That was my testimony. That's all I had. But you know what? In an hour after I, Jesus came into me, an hour later, I could not contain wanting to tell somebody about him and what he had done. So I have a hard time of people saying they are Christ followers, that they love Jesus, that they're Christians, but they zip their mouth and they never tell nobody about it. I have a hard time believing those folks truly, truly know who Christ is. Because how can a Christ live in us and we not say nothing about it? I can't understand that. Can't understand it. And it's not that difficult. It's not that difficult. All you got to do is drop the seed of the word of God. Give out a gospel track. If you're too scared to say something to somebody, give out a gospel track. Write scriptures on some index cards and leave them somewhere. Because the, what does the work is the word of God. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. Write that down and read it later. It talks about a sower going forth to sow. And this sower, according to the text, sows with no discrimination against the soils. He did not discriminate against the soil. In the United States, when I got saved, people used to tell me, hey, you really should just witness to black people because you'll reach them better. You'll be more effective to them. They used to tell me, hey, you know, the Bible says you should marry a black girl. That's what the Bible says. I said, I don't know a Bible you're reading. But they were good men, but they had issues. They thought I was after their daughter. I said, no, I ain't after your daughter. Number one, she's too skinny for me. Too skinny for me. And I ain't after no way. They would say stuff like that. 
God is about all nations. So there was no discrimination against the soil as it was sowing. And he just sowed abundantly. Because you know if you don't sow abundantly, you won't reap abundantly. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. So this soil just sowed soil with no discrimination against the soil. And then it says he went to bed night and day. In other words, he went about his daily routine and forgot about the seed. And then it says when the condition of the soil is right, the earth brings forth her fruit automatically. Automatically. So the soil sold, put the seed, went around the daily routine, just went through life and forgot about the seed. And when the conditions of the soil is right, the earth will bring forth her fruit automatically. Now, every parable told in their culture, you ought to find yourself in the parable. Now, we know the seed is the word of God. Luke 8, 11, the seed is the word of God. Anything wrong with the seed, church? Never. And God is the one who works the soils. Will God always be on his job working the soils, church? So we must be the sowers. So with three and a half billion people without a gospel witness, are there enough sowers on earth today? Are there? Yes. There are enough sores in this building right here to reach three billion people. The problem is the sores are not sowing seed. The sores are not sowing seed. Who are the sores? Come on, church. Who's the sores? Not we are. Make it personal. I am. So who's responsible for this three and a half billion people? Come on, church. Who's responsible? I am. So let's get seed to the soil. Brother Herb and I knew this guy. He was a drug dealer. And he was running drugs. And he got arrested, put in jail by himself. And somebody left a, a New Testament on the bunk. So the whole time he was in there, I don't know if he was in there a weekend or a whole week, he read through that New Testament several times. He did not come out a drug dealer. He came out a born again. And now he preaches the word of God. There was nobody there to share the four spiritual laws with him. There was nobody there doing EE. There was nobody there to give him the Romans road. He reading through the New Testament, sowed the seed on his own heart, and God brought forth what? Salvation automatically. Because the seed got to the soil. So our job is just get the seed out, get the seed out. I asked the, uh, one of the seminars we talked, how many of y'all got cell phones? Everybody, right? We all got cell phones. And somebody calls your cell phone and they, and they ask for a person and it's not you, what do we say? Sorry, wrong number, right? Anybody have telemarketers call you? Come on, talk to me, do you? What do you do to them? Hang up. So out of seven billion people, why did God have that person call you? And some from other countries. Out of seven billion people, why did God have that person call you? And then we use this term, divine appointment. God makes no mistakes. Everything God does, he does by divine appointment. When God does stuff, he does it from before the foundation of the world, except telemarketers. 
except wrong numbers? Now, God had that call set up for you from before the foundation of the world because God is saying, maybe my servant, maybe I can trust and count on my servant to drop a seed in the heart that I've got prepared in this phone call. We hang up on them. I don't hang up on them. They call me, I let them give this talk. And I say, hey, what's your name? They give it to me. And I say, how's your family? Y'all okay? Did y'all make it through the corona okay? Yes, we did. What kind of food y'all eat over there? And nine times out of ten, I've been to their country. And I begin to relate. Hey, that butter chicken is good. Oh, yes, love some butter chicken. And I say, what faith you follow? They tell me. Then guess what? They ask me, what about you, sir? Well, in 1981... Somebody told me that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Is that, is that the word of God? I dropped the seed. And you know what? They talked to me. You know why they talked to me? Because you hung up on them. <laughs> they said, here's a person I can talk to that didn't hang up on me. They think I'm a person? They're really concerned about me? That phone call was designed for me from before the foundation of the world. And I dropped a seed. And you know what? God has more hearts prepared for the seed than we're willing to sow the seed on them. So we ought to be an audible presentation. One time I went home to visit my parents and I had all my kids. They were little. It was late. I had to go all the way back to my city. I had to drive. It was late. And I'm like, man, it's time to go. Holy Spirit, go see Bodie. That was an old classmate of mine. We, we run together from kids. Go see Bodie. Go talk to Bodie. Go tell Bodie about me. Oh, man, it's late, Lord. I need to get back to Memphis. It's late. Go talk to Bodie. Guess what I did? I got in the car and went home. As soon as I got in my house in Memphis, Tennessee, my city, my daddy called me on the telephone. I said, hey, daddy, how you doing? He said, good, y'all make it home okay? Yes, sir. I got some news for you. Bodie just ran through a fence on his motorcycle and, and cut his head off. I'm like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I would never try, I would never try, I hope I don't miss another appointment that you give me when they're that important. So I attempt every opportunity I get to drop the seed of the word of God. And guess what y'all, it's not optional. Mark 16, 15 says, anybody know it? Mark 16, 15. He says, go and preach the gospel to all nations, right? Go and proclaim the gospel in every nation, all nations. That's what he says in Mark 16, 15. That's a command. Not go, but to proclaim. It's a command. 
It's a command. And it's not talking about doing this right here. It's talking about making a proclamation about the Christ. A herald. It's not optional. So if you're not proclaiming your faith, if you're not sharing the good news of the gospel, if you're not talking to people about Jesus, you are walking in disobedience. It's a command. You are walking in disobedience. So what do you need with another quiet time? What do you need to read the Bible again for? What do you need with another sermon, another podcast, if you won't walk in the obedience that God has already told you to walk in? Just more disobedience to add up, to answer to him for? And if everybody who claimed the name of Christ would walk in the obedience that God told us to walk in yesterday, you'd see a different world today. But some of our Christianity is just coming to church and going home, coming to church and going home. That's not how God designed it. You come here for the equipping, for the encouragement, and then it's what you do out there that really counts. So we ought to audible presentation, audible representation. Next thing we see, well, we have seen what our eyes and we have looked on. He wants us to be a visible presentation. Visible. Visible. Ephesians 2 and 10. He says, for you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God hath before ordained that you should walk in them. Do you not know that God has already put situations in place from before the foundation of the world for you to walk into today to bring him glory? He's already put something in place from before the foundation of the world for you to walk into today to bring him glory. But you know what? Satan will get us focused on ourselves. He'll get us turned in. And we'll miss those opportunities that God is bringing by us on a daily basis. Miss them. Because we're focused on ourselves, on our world, on our circles. On what I got, what I don't have, what I want. And the world will parade by us every day that God has set up these divine appointments for us and we'll miss them. But then he says we are his workmanship. Workmanship. This is the word poema. Poema. And that's where we get our word poem. And a poem is the nature, the character, the heart, all the makeup of the writer put on paper. Then we read the paper and determine what the writer is like. So we have classes in English where we read the paper and they'll say, tell me about the author. We say, well, he's depressed. He's happy. He's melancholy. He's all these things. Because everything about the author is put on paper. We read the paper and determine what the author is like. Well, guess what? God says we are his poems. And God says... I'm going to let a world that knows absolutely nothing about me read your life and determine what I'm like. God says he's going to let a world that knows nothing about him read your life, Christian, and determine what he's like. 
So when God shows me that in his word, I don't have to have the best-selling author. I don't have to have some psychiatrist. I don't have to have somebody tell me that I'm somebody in God's economy. When I read that, I know I'm somebody in the kingdom. If God is going to rest his reputation on me, So when you claim the name of Christ, know that comes with a responsibility. And even the word Christian itself, the word Christian, it's a Greek word. It has a Hebrew concept, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And has a Latin ending, I-A-N-O-S, Ionos. And the Latin ending means a servant or slave in the household of. So a Christian is a servant or slave in the household of Christ. Now, those of you who work with children, can you determine somewhat by the behavior and character of a child, the kind of household they came out of most of the time? Can you do that? Yes. So if I'm a Christian, People ought to determine if I'm truly a Christ follower or the household I come out of by the character I display in public and in private. And the term Christian was an earned title for them. Every time they were squeezed, every time they were pressed down, every time they went through suffering, the character that came out of them was the character of Christ. So they began to call them little Christ, little Christians, little Christ. If I had an orange and I squeezed it in a glass, and you saw me squeeze it, and I gave it to this young man right here, and he tasted it, and he says, it tastes like pickles. You know what a pickle is? Everybody know what a pickle is? It tastes like pickles. Should pickle juice come out of an orange? Thank you. Should pickle juice come out of an orange? Huh? What should come out of an orange? So we ought to question that orange. We should question that orange. So if I say I'm a Christian and life begins to squeeze on me, pressure comes in, Persecution, suffering. And if the character of Christ does not come out of me, people should question my Christianity. Because God displayed his character in the darkest hour in human history. When he was on the cross, his character was displayed the greatest. To the point to where people were standing around and said, this surely must be the Son of God. So what comes out of you in your darkest hour? What comes out of me when I'm under persecution and distress? The character of Christ or something else? Visible. Visible presentation. And in that presentation of being visible, he wants to know, what is our worth? He tells us our value, our value in him. If you had 
cracked lips. Y'all know this is lip chap, right? Lip balm. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Come on, talk to me now. And, and some of you men, y'all walked in, y'all need some of this right now. Because if you kiss your wife, she's going to need stitches. Okay? Suppose you're in the desert and your lips are just cracked wide open. This thing maybe cost me one U.S. dollar. Would you give me five dollars for it? Yes, in a minute. Get them lips sealed up, right? So what if Ronaldo, the soccer player, walked in and says, I give you five million for it. Does he have five million? Yes. I don't care what you think about this. I don't, think, I don't care what you think about Ronaldo. This was worth $1. It went to being worth $5. It is now worth $5 million. Because what determines the value of this is what the purchaser is willing to pay. The purchaser determines the value. So whom did God give for you and I? His son. So God is saying we are worth as much value to him as his only begotten son. Amen? So don't walk around with your shoulders slumped in saying you ain't worth nothing. What if Pastor Steve came to my house and uh, what, what if he committed a crime that was just a bad crime? Bad crime. Got put in jail. Death penalty. And my son says, you know, Daddy, I love Pastor Steve, and I just got to know him when he coming over to the house. I want to take his place. So I said, okay, let's go see about it. The judge says, we can do that. So they let Steve go. They take my son away to serve his crime. And then Steve comes home to my house, sits under the table. We eating a good meal. And he looks at me and says, you know, Brother Soup, we've known each other a long time but I ain't worth nothing. I just ain't worth nothing. I said, hold that thought. I'm gonna go upstairs, get one of my old baseball bats. <laughs> I'm gonna come down and I'm gonna say, could you repeat that to me again? <laughs> I've just given my son to take your place and you are fully pardoned, free to go, no condemnation, and you're gonna sit at my table, enjoy my meal and my blessing, and tell me you ain't worth nothing? How do you think God feels when we tell him we ain't worth nothing? Enjoying his blessings. Enjoying the freedom in life in our salvation. And he gave his only son. True story, this man uh, was in charge of the bridge that goes up and down for the train. Took his son to work one day. And he told his son to stay in the booth, I gotta go do something. He comes back, his son is gone. He hears the whistle for the train coming. Time to let the bridge down. He looks around and his son is caught in the gears of the bridge. So he has to make a choice. Do I let the bridge down and kill my son and let these people go by and wave at me, not even knowing what sacrifice and what price I've given for them and them going to live their life the way they want to live it, not really knowing what sacrifice was given for them? Or do I let the bridge stay up and kill all these people on this train? Well, I'm going to tell you from my perspective. On that day, you 
better hope you was on African time <laughs> and you was late for that train. You better hope something happened you couldn't get on that train because if it's up to me, it's going to be a bad day for you because I ain't letting that bridge down on my son for you on that train. I ain't going to do it. But guess what? That man let that bridge down. Those people went by on that train waving, not realizing the sacrifice was given to them. God gave his son for us. And we don't live in the reality of the sacrifice God gave that we could be free and walk in the freedom and the victory in him. Last one, my time is gone. So he wants a visible representation. Also, not only what we've seen, not only what we heard, not only what we've seen with our eyes, but what we've touched with our hands. He was a tangible, he wants a tangible representation. A tangible representation. You see, in the West, in America, we teach everything in the abstract. If we say describe God, we would say he's omnipresent, he's holy, he's gracious, he's, he's, he's omnipotent, he's all these things. Those are true, but you can't touch them. In Jesus' culture, they say describe God, they would say he's my rock, he's my shield. He's my shelter. When they taught the kids how to memorize scripture, the rabbi would go around and put honey on the tablet. And when it's time to memorize, he'd say, put that honey on the tongue and taste and see that the Lord is. They taught it a tangible way. So I'm wondering, is that why we feel sometimes God is so far away because we see him as abstract? Not somebody close and personally near and tangible, we see him so far away in the abstract. But God wants a tangible representation. So the only way God can give somebody a hug is if he gives them a hug through his tabernacle, which is me and you. The only way God can give somebody some food to eat is if he does it in a tangible way through his tabernacle, you and I. The only way God can show up and give comfort to somebody on a sick bed in the hospital is if we show up and be his tangible representation. I was driving through the back alley in Memphis and a guy was in a dumpster getting food out. I stopped, gave him a gospel track. Kept going. Holy Spirit said, what are you doing? Witnessing. He said, don't you see that man's hungry and needs something to eat? I said, okay. I backed up. Get in and roll the window down. He just come out of the dumpster. He wasn't smelling real good at that point. Took him to the chicken house, the place where we eat fried chicken. We sit down and begin to talk. We ate chicken together, have a meal. And when we finished, I shared the gospel with him and I said, hey, and by the way, read that track I gave you. That will continue to help explain what I talked to you about. He reached in his pocket and pulled 10 tracks out of each pocket. That man didn't need that track that day. He needed a meal. The tangible expression God wanted him to have that day was a meal. So what's the tangible expression God wants to use you for? Ladies, 
how many more dresses and shoes do you need? Men, how many more gadgets and toys do you need? Could we skip one or two of those things and invest that back into the kingdom and some needs that people have and be a tangible expression of God? Can we leave somebody some groceries on their step and run? Because what we like to do is testify. Yes, our family, we provided four bags of groceries for this family. Well, you got your pat on the back right there. That's as far as it went. So what needs do you know out there right now that you can meet? Or do you say, hey, let me go to the church committee, see if we can get some money to meet this need when you got it in your pocket right there? Each of you ought to have an account or have some money set aside to meet needs in your community with your co-workers in the representation of Christ. You know what they are. You know what you need to do. Let's be a audible, visible, and tangible representation of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time today. Thank you for this opportunity to share. Lord, we love you so much. We appreciate you. Thank you for these, uh, your servants. Uh, Lord, I pray that something was said today that will motivate us and move us toward what we need to do that you be glorified. Thank you for Pastor Steve and his family. Thank you for the leadership here. Uh, help them to continue to lead with integrity and uh, be people of the word that you would use this place as a springboard, a hub for global impact. We thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.